I'll open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2. We continue in our study here, and chapter 2 is a summary of the creative work of chapter 1, and it provides for us detail that is not provided in chapter 1, and most specifically where we are here is revisiting back to day 6 of creation. So Moses here provides details about the place that God created just for man, the place that we call the Garden in Eden. And he made this as a model of the tabernacle. It is this secluded, guarded, protected place where God is going to meet with man and have fellowship with him. And he sets man in this this separate place from the vastness of the created world that he has made. And Moses provides for us a a glimpse of the lush beauty of Eden, one that is plentiful with food, one that has heavenly waters flowing from it. We're told that man is able to eat freely from any of the fruitful trees in the garden with the exception of the one. And we're told of the prohibition that man has, that he cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is often a bit of a stumbling block for us in understanding what this tree actually is. The knowledge of good and evil represents wisdom and discernment to decide and influence what is good, that which advances life, and then evil, that which hinders life. And so as a repeat of what was introduced last time, unless we know everything, we only know relatively to our own experience. Unless we know comprehensively, we cannot know absolutely. Therefore, only God in heaven, who transcends time and space, has the prerogative to know truly what is good and what is bad for life. Therefore, the tree represents knowledge and power appropriate only to God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a good tree. All that God created is good. Yet, the knowledge of good and evil is something that is reserved exclusively for Him, not to be ours. And as we will see in our study in Genesis 3, this knowledge then wrecks all that God has created and forever changes mankind's experience here On this earth. So human beings, by contrast to the comprehensive, absolute knowledge of God, must depend upon a revelation from the infinite mind of God to truly know what is good and evil. And so God does that. God reveals to us what is good and what is bad, what advances life and what hinders life, and He does that through His Word, our Bibles. Humanity's temptation is to seize the privilege that is reserved for God and to independently exercise that wisdom apart from the revelation of God. So we decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We become law unto ourselves. We create a God in our image rather than being created in the image of God. And we create Him to be something that we want Him to be not what he really is. So this tree, this knowledge of good and evil, this tree confronts humanity with the reality of the Creator's rule 
our dependency upon that rule, our right relationship to His rule, and living by revelation that comes from that rule. And yet Adam and Eve are going to disregard that and throw the world that God has made into great chaos. So in this final section here in chapter 2, we're going to be told of the creation of the woman. Now remember, we're still in day 6 of creation where we are told that God creates all the land creatures as well as creating man. It says in chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's a summary of the creative work of God. And so now in chapter 2, we're going to get detail about what is not included in chapter 1 as it relates to the creation of them, male and female, in his image. So let's read together verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So as in every passage of scripture that we've looked at, there's far more that could be said than will be said. The amount of time it would take to say all that could be said or should be said is far greater than we could ever imagine. Volumes of books written on each of these passages individually, but we're going to look at this in a little bit of a consolidated fashion as we look at the creation of woman. And the first point that we're going to highlight is the need. Looking again at verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So what is unknown to us, what we kind of lose sight of, is a part of the Hebrew literary style that is here in verse 18. So what is being done here is a subject statement is being given... And then the following verses are going to provide the response to this subject statement. So the subject statement is, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the remaining parts of this passage are going to, are going to be the response to this subject statement that is being made. Now remember, we're in day six of creation. At the end of day six, when God has finished all of his creative work, he declares that it is very good. So this is not an add-on, this is not an afterthought, this is not an oops, I didn't think about that. I've got to do something else that was not included in day six. That's not what it is at all. In the midst of day six, before Eve is created, there is this temporary, not good condition that God is going to address. Now the not good condition of aloneness 
is the subject matter that is being introduced here. And the following verses are the response to this temporary not good condition. Now, before you get run off into a rabbit hole, this does not mean that there was something that was bad or that there was something that was evil because that is not the case at all. At this moment in creation, it was not yet completed because there was not yet a helper for Adam. Now this is why we know chapter 2 is not a second creation account. It is the detail of creation that is not included in chapter 1. So God creates all the land animals. God creates Adam. We're told here more detail about what is a part of this chronology. And at this moment, before Eve is created, there is this temporary, not good condition. There's not yet a helper suitable for Adam. This wasn't good. And creation could not be complete until, excuse me, creation could not be very good until all of it had been completed. So this is a specific look at a helicopter view of creation. This temporary not good condition is because Eve has not yet yet been created and there is not a suitable helper for man. And so God is going to remedy this temporary not good condition. Adam needs a helper. It is not good for him to be alone. And God is going to solve this need for Adam. Now we're going to break this down in a little bit more detail as we revisit the detail that is fleshed out for us here. So the two important aspects. Letter A, there's a need for a helper. So God creates the woman to be a helper for Adam. That is to honor his vocation of caring for the garden, to share in his enjoyment of this lush world God has created for them, and to respect the prohibition that God has given in regards to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what is implied here is that Adam has been created. He's been given the task of caring for the garden. He is already enjoying in this brief moment this wondrous world that God has created. There is this prohibition that God has given, and he needs a helper to help him accomplish these tasks. So the word helper here suggests that the man has a governmental priority, what we would call headship or leadership. This is not a declaration of value or of capability, but one of role. Now, admittedly, we could spend the next 20 minutes talking about all of this governmental priority, this headship or leadership, and that's not really the focus of what we want to do here as we look at the world of creation, and the helper that God has made for Adam. But to deal with this just very slightly, in Paul's teaching in chapter 1 of Timothy, he provides roles and responsibilities, and he highlights this as a part of the creation principle when he says in 1 Timothy 2.13, for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And so by highlighting this out of the chronology of creation, Paul is not saying that there's greater value or worth or capability in Adam because he was created first. All Paul is highlighting is that there is a distinction in the role because Adam was created first. It's not a statement about value or capability. 
Now, I would probably be pretty safe in saying that there are many, many women out there who are far more capable of leading the household, but that's not the role God has declared. So the challenge that women have is finding the God-given role and being a helper to their husband as incapable or as unqualified or as disinterested as the husband may particularly be. So again, this governmental priority is not a statement of value or capability. It's just highlighting the role that God is creating in this relationship that is going to be established at the end of our passage. So the man is created first with the woman to help the man, not vice versa. It should be emphasized this does not mean superiority or inferiority. It is simply a distinction of role. We'll look at this in a little bit greater detail here in just a moment. Now, as an example of why this statement is true, that it's not a value of of uh, capability or a statement of value of the person, that it's a helper suitable for the man, the word helper is used 19 times in the Old Testament. 16 of the 19 times it is used, it is used to describe the help that God provides for His people. Therefore, as we understand the role of the woman being a helper for the man, the wife or the husband, we would see that the woman's helping is an essential contribution. It does not highlight her inadequacy. So as an example, Psalm 121, an incredibly familiar verse. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Where does, where does our help come from? Comes from God. So the word helper indicates this essential help being provided. And here in the creation account, it's being described as the essential help that Eve is going to bring to Adam's life. It's not highlighting her inadequacy. Well, you're not capable. You're not valuable. You're just my little, you know, my little helper boy. That's not what it's implied at all. It's an essential contribution that is going to come. So the help the woman is to provide is essential for the man, and it has incredible value in the relationship and in life in general. So Adam needs a helper that is suitable. He doesn't just need a helper. He needs a suitable helper. This aspect of provision that God is going to make is made apparent in the verses that follow. So as we are given more detail into what took place on day six of creation... As Adam looks out over the vast array of the land creatures that God has made, and as he is given the task of naming them, as well as the birds of the sky, it is highly likely that he notices that there is nothing in creation like him. Nothing. God's declaration is that the helper is to be suitable for him, one that shares in bearing the image of God. So think about it. As Adam looks out over the beasts of the field, the cheetah, 
the gazelle, the giraffe, the hippopotamus, whatever the animal representation is at that time, it's pretty obvious there's nothing out there that looks like me, right? There's nothing suitable for me. Adam's helper would not come from the animal kingdom, but from a specific provision from God who would also bear his image as Genesis 1, 27 declared. In his image he created them male and female, right? So the Hebrew word suitable means equal and adequate. Men and women differ in sexuality, but are equals as bearers of God's image and in their standing before God. God does not look down upon woman and say, well, you're just kind of a second class creation. You're not as important as the man. I made you because I had to. You know, Adam was down there, his head hanging low, crying over how alone he was. And I had to do something, so I created the woman. That's not at all what took place. God created a helper, equal and adequate, who shared in the image of God as the helper that would be suitable for him. Eve, or womankind, is not an afterthought in God's created world, as we're going to see in just a moment. So at this point in day six, it is likely that Adam is not yet aware of his need, and God is going to make this obvious to Adam. So when God created the creatures, the land animals, and the birds of the sky, and uh, the creatures of the sea, which are not readily visible, very clearly he created them in pairs because he said, be fruitful and multiply. So we don't know if there were two or four or 16 or 164. We don't know where the multiplication of that ends. But you have to know, as Adam is looking out and seeing at least pairs of, in, of animals being paraded before him, and God is telling him to name them, it becomes pretty clear to Adam that there's absolutely nothing out there like me. We say today that, that a dog is man's best friend, right? Isn't that what we say? But I want to tell you that man, a dog, is not a suitable helper for man. Because they don't share in the image. They're not equal and adequate. So the example that becomes obvious to Adam here is what we see in number two. So some would read these verses here and they would think, well, this is really out of place. This doesn't make any sense at all. But remember, this is a part of the Hebrew literary structure where a subject statement is made and then the following verses are the response to that statement. So it's not good for man to be alone. Well, how did man come to the conclusion that it is not good for him to be alone? Well, God's going to show Adam how that is true. So verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. So in day five of creation, God created the birds of the sky. And on day six, God created all of the land animals. And here in verse 19, it tells us how he did that. God created them from the ground just as he did with Adam. This detail is not provided for us in chapter 1. So God creates all of the animal creatures and all of the sky creatures from the ground just like he did when he created Adam. So he brings all of creation to Adam for the purpose of giving them names. Now he does this before 
he creates the woman. Now, the joke in that is, well, if the woman was there with him, they could never get the naming done because they would differ and disagree and argue about what the name should be, right? Ha, ha, ha. That's not true at all. That's not what, that's not what is implied here at all. <laughs> Gotta have a sense of humor when you read God's Word because there is a sense of humor to be found in this stuff. So when God brings all of creation to Adam for the purpose of naming, it's the first example of how Adam exercises dominion over creation by being given the responsibility of naming the animals. Now, if you remember, when we looked back in chapter 1, in the detail of creation, the general explanation of creation there, the responsibility of naming was given to God. God named the day. He named it night. He called it evening. He named the sun. He named all of those things. That was God's prerogative and His rule over the world that He's created. And then He delegated that to man and to humanity in general to have dominion over the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Exercise dominion over the earth. So the responsibility of naming also introduces us to the nature of the problem that is going to become apparent to Adam. It is the not good situation that is found in this temporary moment of creation that Adam is going to recognize expressed to us in verse 20. The man gave names to all the cattle, the domesticated livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. The not good situation is that for Adam, there is no suitable partner. Now, very likely, as Adam is seeing all of these animals paraded before him, he probably says something along the lines of, Huh, this is, this is unusual. Because I see at least two of them, and two of them, and two of them, and this goes on for who knows how long. Yet there's nothing in the animal kingdom that is like Adam. There is not a partner suitable for him. Now, Adam's feelings are not stated here. It doesn't say that he was sad or that he was melancholy or that he was over in the corner crying because there was not a helper suitable for him. We have no idea of what Adam's emotion might have been, but I would imagine that it dawned upon Adam that this is unique because there's nothing out there like me. There's nothing for me as I look upon all the created world that God has just run before me. So Adam must recognize that it is not good for him to be alone and to not have a partner like the rest of the animal kingdom does. So God waits until Adam understands this and then prepared and is then prepared to appreciate and value the gift of the woman he is going to provide. So The thought is that had Adam not seen all the pairs of created world out there and the lack of a pair for him, he would likely less appreciate and understand his need for the helper that God was going to provide to him. So just as Adam becomes aware of this not good condition, God moves to solve it. So as Adam sees all the created world, recognizes there's not anything out there for him 
as this is made, uh, as, as he is made aware of this and it dawns upon him, God moves to solve that problem for him. So number three on our outline, we see the provision. Verse 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So God is the great physician, performs the first surgery, complete with anesthesia, and removes one of Adam's ribs and uses it to create the woman. Now, there are some misunderstandings about this. Um, men and women actually have the same number of ribs. The word rib in the Hebrew indicates kind of the side, and it may, it may not specifically identify rib per se, but it's the most likely way for us to understand it. A part of that we find a little bit later is that when Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, it appears to commentators and Hebrew scholars that it is likely that God has taken from the side, not just a rib, but from the side, something from Adam, and out of that, he has fashioned a woman to be this suitable helper for Adam. So she is of the same substance as Adam, not greater than and not less than, but the same as. And this gives some indication as to why God would say, let us make man in our image. In his image he created them, male and female he created them. So this is a perfect picture of what God intends in the relationship between Adam and Eve, between married men and women, is this taken from the side and fashioned together in this now unique relationship. So one of the older commentators out out there by the name of Matthew Henry is given credit for this phraseology that we're familiar with. And he says this, and I quote, The woman is not made out out of his head to top him, not out of his seat, excuse me, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. So not out of his head to rule over him, not out of his feet to be trampled under him, but out of his side to be joined to him under the arm of of protection near the heart, the seat of affection. So after creating Eve, God brings her to Adam and the first marriage union is made. Now think about this. Adam has just had the entirety of the animal kingdom paraded before him. And he has given them all names, seeing that there is nothing out there like him. And we're not told of the sequence or the time or the exact way this works. But God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He takes from his side and fashions this woman. And he creates this helpmate that is suitable for him and now brings her to him. And I would imagine Adam would say, Wow! I've not seen anything like this before. (laughs) Hubba hubba, right? I mean, (laughs) we find a lot of beauty in the animal kingdom, but there's a barrier there. There's There's a line that we're not going to cross. So he receives from God this provision that he has made, a helper that is the same as him, equal in the image of God, adequate 
to be the helpmate that God designed and He needs, and He is at the point of understanding this need and greatly valuing that which God has provided for Him. These now are the first recorded words of Adam, and they're the only words until we get to the account of the fall coming up in chapter 3, and that is his response. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So upon presentation of the gift of the bride, Adam is greatly pleased. He recognizes the great gift that God has given, and it is very clear that he sees immense value in her. He recognizes that she was taken out of him because she is like him, flesh and shape and all that other kind of stuff. She is a suitable helper for him. She is unlike any other thing he has ever seen in creation. And she is a perfect completion to him. So in chapter 1, God pronounces the blessing upon this union and He instructs them to be fruitful and multiply. And here we see in chapter 2 why that blessing was given because God has fashioned a helper suitable for Him, fashioned out of Adam's own side, and she is now suitable for the purpose of procreation. She is perfect for Him. Now what is interesting here that we don't necessarily see as a part of the language, is that after Adam has named all of the animals, he now gives name to the woman. In doing so, he also gives a name to himself. In the Hebrew, woman is, and I can't do this because I don't have the guttural capability, but in the Hebrew, the word for woman is Yisha, and man is Ish. Moses names Adam by his relation to the ground, but Adam names himself in relation to his wife. She shall be called Isha, and I shall be called Ish, because she has come out of man. Now there's two things that we can see in here that are very, very subtle. One is the tremendous value that Adam now sees in this thing that God has created for him, fashioned from his side, and he declares his identity, his naming from her, as opposed to from the ground with which he was originally created. But the second thing that we see here goes back into this governmental priority that we alluded to earlier. The giving of this name is indicative of the distinction of the role of leadership in that God allows Adam to give to her the name woman. And then later in chapter 3, we learn that he calls her Eve because she is going to be the mother of all living beings. And so this is a subtle indication that there is this distinction in the roles, even though they are of equal value and equal worth. And this is found in the naming right that God has given to Adam. And he takes this very, very seriously and derives his own name from her, Ish and Isha. So, Adam says here, this is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. And then we see lastly the result, number 5, verse 24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now this is not Adam speaking here. 
This is not a continuation of Adam's words. His words were related to bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so this is actually Moses speaking for God. And he speaks for God about what he has designed in this first union. Now when Jesus talks about when he's questioned by the Pharisees and they throw out to him Moses allowing for divorce, for divorce, Jesus actually quotes this passage and he gives credit to God as the one who says this. So we know that this is not Adam speaking, this is God speaking through Moses, reiterating what God has said. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the mandate found in the model of marriage, very simply, we can spend a lot of time dissecting this, is the, the, the model is leaving, cleaving, and the resulting oneness. That is the model for marriage. Now what's really, really unusual is that through most all of Jewish history, They didn't leave the home. The son never left the home. He brought the woman into the home. And they shared a space in the father's home. He would often build a room for them. This is the picture image of what God does for us in eternity. Is we all go to God's house and he builds a room for us. But throughout all of Jewish history, they didn't actually leave. But there is this relational independency that is to be established upon marriage where this new entity that has been created is distinct from the parental role. Married couples are to leave the parents, be joined together in a lifelong bond initiated by the marriage covenant, making them one flesh for life with no divorce. So incomplete leaving and incomplete cleaving Will, fa- will fracture the creation of oneness and will likely lead to divorce. So the model of first marriage is quite clear, but will be incredibly difficult to, man- to maintain after the fall. What is implied very, very clearly here is that the bonds of marriage supersede the parental bonds of procreation. Just because he is your son or she is your daughter does not mean as a parent you are to rule over or govern their lives. No, no, no. They are to leave and they are to cleave to one another and begin the journey of creating oneness. I think many, many, many many parents and many, many cultures greatly hinder that process by forcing their married children to be dependent upon them for financing, for housing, for work, for whatever it might be. And it's that subtle string that gets attached. Yeah, you're married, but I'm your dad. You're daddy's little girl. Your mama's little boy. No, 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 no. Leaving and cleaving allows for the creation of oneness, which is the model that is given to us here in the joining together of Adam and Eve. So the marriage bonds supersede the parental bonds and we must let them go. Be there to help, be there to encourage, be there to give advice, but not to rule over and interfere with the leaving and the cleaving that is necessary for oneness. Now the final part of this narrative that we see here is the epilogue. 
Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now this verse does two things. One, it provides a picture of the pinnacle of innocence and unity. There they are. The marriage vows not given to us have been completed. The man and wife, the husband and wife are together. They're naked. They're not ashamed. Provides a picture of the pinnacle of innocence and unity. Adam and Eve and the human race as a whole would never, ever, ever have it any better than at this moment in time. Second thing that this verse does is it serves as a transition from this state of innocence state of perfection in God's created world and this transition into one of guilt and shame and life now to be lived under the curse. With the loss of innocence in the fall, Adam and Eve will feel shame because of their nakedness. And they will go and create clothing as a way to shield them from that shame. A lot of chapter 2, if you remember, is a contrast between the perfection of God's creation and the resulting experience of man because of the fall. And this is the very specific segue of that reality in the lives of Adam and Eve and in the human race as a whole. So after eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve are going to become very aware of all things evil. Think about this. At this point, they didn't know that sexual desire could be used for wicked purposes. They didn't know that sexual desire could be perverted and twisted. They didn't have any wicked thoughts or any sinful desires. They had no capacity to feel shame because they did not know that evil even existed. And all of that changed in an instant. Where they were now naked and unashamed, they're going to be naked and filled with shame. So the creation narrative describes God's creative wonder, His power, His majesty, His glory expressed through the work of creation, His intimate connection with mankind, the crown jewel of creation, remembering that out of the dust of the earth, God fashioned the man Adam and breathed life into his nostrils from his very breath making him a living being, taking from Adam's side and fashioning this beautiful woman as a helper suitable for him. This intimate connection that he has with mankind, putting them in this secluded, protected garden for the purpose of visiting with them and fellowshipping with them. Verse 25 segues from this pristine state of existence into one that is filled with hardship and corruption and evil. Nothing will ever, ever be the same. As beautiful and as majestic as verse uh, chapter 1 and 2 are, chapter 3 and following is just bad. 
just terribly bad. In the midst of all that, there is a faithful God who loves and redeems and restores. But the experience of man and humanity in this sin-cursed world will never, ever be the same. So we'll look at that next week. I don't think we're going to get very far, but we're going to start that journey as we look towards the fall. Let's pray together.